0: Yes. Yes. Okay. It's time. Open your Bibles, or your apps. I'm just gonna scan. How many young people do we have in the room, as opposed to with the kids today? Are they okay? We'll be okay. We'll be okay. Some of the some of the stuff we talk about today is actually a little bit graphic, and uh, so. You all will be fine. You will be fine. It's not happening to you, so you will be fine. Um, yeah, we're talking about Stephen today, and in the course of our reading um, today, Stephen dies, and so this is uh, this is some real stuff. I last week uh, we were emphasizing hope, and it just so happened that the the theme that came out of our reading. Uh, just before this and in stephen's message was that of hope it was uh, stephen was arrested kind of he was brought by mob mob uh, rule (laughs) to the sanhedrin where they were gonna do a mock trial rubber stamp his execution and get rid of this guy because we can't handle him his uh his preaching his teaching his use of the scripture uh, we can't we can't compete with it we can't prove him wrong and it's making us mad. And so the, these individuals from a particular synagogue called the synagogue of the freedmen, um, f- which the Apostle Paul would probably come out of later, because he was he was a Gent uh Greek-speaking Jew. Uh they they were the ones that had been interacting with Stephen and debating him and getting womped every time they engaged him, and they were just done. They were done. So they pull him to the to the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin already knows who he is. They're they're just going to get him to to blaspheme and then kill him and be done with it. That's just how it's gonna how it's gonna go. But instead, Stephen goes into this long sermon. This this message, um, it's fifty I think. What is it? Fifty two verses um, in the book of Acts, chapter seven, and and he takes him through a history of Israel, touching on some of the main characters. He doesn't do everything. But as he's doing it, he's talking about how Israel had a habit of forgetting their hope. They had a habit of forgetting the things that God promised them and therefore acting inappropriately. Because when we forget our hope, then we, we start looking for hope and, and, uh, and anchor in other things. And that's what Israel had done time and time again. And so Stephen was recounting some of that. And then he talks about how they set up the temple system in place of just being in the presence of God in the tabernacle. And, and so he turns their, their charge of blasphemy against him. He turns it right around and, and nails them with it. He says, no, you, you were given the law, even through tongues of angels, and you still didn't do it. Well, they would had enough of that. They'd had quite enough of that. And, there, and now we come to this at the end of his message uh, in Acts chapter 7. We're picking up in verse 54. And it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick. They began gnashing their teeth at him. I'm going to read it out of here. And being full, but being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they, the Sanhedrin, the council, cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse, and when when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. Fell asleep is a euphemism for dying. What is going on with Stephen here? We knew they wanted to kill him. He knew that before they got him in there. He knew they were going to kill him. Um, The traditional way of of executing somebody was stoning. And that's what was going to happen here. Um, If you are not familiar, generally, we don't see a lot of stoning here in this culture. So um, you you might not be really familiar with what's going on. Uh, What would happen... According to the law, there was a trial. This was kind of a mockery of a trial. There, there would be a trial with witnesses. There would be witnesses, at least two, that had the charge of blasphemy, or if you go through the Old Testament, there's, there's uh, eight to ten other things that you could get stoned for. Um, it was serious. Uh, wh- why did they do stoning instead of, you know impaling or beheading or things like that, um, the main reason is in Palestine, in this area, there's a lot of rocks. That's re- it really was, it, it was convenient. And in other cultures in the area, they, they still, uh, even, even to this day, there's some of the, uh, less developed cultures that still use this method, um, and you can research that later on your own time. We don't, we don't really need to talk about that. But So there would be witnesses involved. The, the matter would be established. They would be convicted of blasphemy. And um, they would be taken outside the city, where, whatever city they were in. Their hands and feet would be bound. And they would be pushed um, by the first witness over a ledge or a cliff or a, a bluff um, at least twice as tall as the, the man was. So they would fall, and the idea was, um, you know, hopefully they fall wrong and, and die from that. But if not, then they would at least be incapacitated and not be able to run. Um, then they, they would go down and check, and if they weren't dead, then they would roll them on their back, and the second witness would pick up a large stone and throw it on their chest to stop the heart. So that that was the idea. Also, the, these two are, you know, as far as stoning goes, the more merciful part. If you died quickly, that's really good. That's really good because what comes next is really terrible. Because if that doesn't stop the heart and kill them, then all of the bystanders or the way the scripture uh, phrases it, the congregation of Israel, the observers, the bystanders, would then pick up rocks and throw them at the condemned one until they were pronounced dead. So this could last a long time depending on how well these people could throw rocks. If you had a bunch of people that were a bad shot this could go on for a while. Um, Meanwhile the the person is is being uh, bludgeoned basically. There's blunt force trauma. That's how they're going to die. Um in Stephen's case, it seems that uh, some of this was kind of observed, but they were in such a fit of rage that they just ignored some of these things. They did one thing. They got him out of the city. They, they rushed him out of the city. They found a place where it was safe to throw rocks without collateral damage, okay? But he was not bound. He didn't get pushed off anything. They didn't, there was no um, uh, measured response or, or process there was no, uh, um, the the witnesses were there, but you know who knows what their their real role was in this. But they rushed him out of the city, likely to the east, because it was the quickest way out. They were in the temple area, and if you go to the east, then it's right outside into the Kidron Valley, right there, and and it's a safe place to throw rocks. So they they go out there. Um, they didn't bind him. He wasn't pushed. Over anything. Another thing that you would have to do according to the law was they would they would lay the elders and the witnesses would lay their hands on the head of the the convicted person and they would confess. Uh, we see a little bit of this in Catholic, um, you know, confession the the process of confession. If you confess before you die, then you still have inheritance um, on the other side. If you don't, then then uh, God help you. Um, but they didn't they didn't do any of that in this in this Thing. Um, there was no fall from a bluff or a ledge. Stephen was able to. We see in the last verse of that chapter. We see he was able to kneel. So he, you know, he was probably not even lying down. Um, he was just shoved out into the central area where they could all throw stones. Pretty traumatic. Pretty traumatic. We don't. Um, there's a there's a reason we don't see this anymore. Even in our culture, we have issues with with other forms of capital punishment, um, and and so we would probably not do well with this this kind of setup. We like to think we're more advanced and uh, <laughs> and developed. Um, We see a couple things in this passage that, that pop out in the way that people respond. And it says in, in verse 54, the first verse of this passage, that they were cut to the quick. We saw this that phrase a couple chapters ago when the apostles were speaking to the Sanhedrin. They were cut to the quick. They they were cut to the heart. The, the words that Stephen said, the message that he brought, uh, went beyond just just a formal court thing, and it got in behind their defenses and cut them. It stung them. Even though they were already set in what they were going to decide, they already knew what they were going to do, they were not really in this with open minds, trying to ascertain the truth. Um, They were hard. They were already opposed to this, and still the Holy Spirit was able to use those words and slip between a chink in the armor and and it says they were cut to the heart. It didn't just say that they were angry because they disagreed with him. They were cut to the heart. We know that the Holy Spirit was already the one giving Stephen the words in the first place. Um, Jesus tells his disciples, don't worry when they arrest you and drag you before councils and kings and rulers. I'll give you the words to say. You don't have to have a prepared speech. You don't have to have your lawyers present. Um, You're not going to get a phone call anyway. Just, uh, Just rely on the Holy Spirit. He will give you the words to say. And that's what was happening with Stephen. So they were the Holy Spirit's words in the first place coming through Stephen and Uh, So, the Holy Spirit knew exactly how to speak to these guys. He knew exactly what needed to be said. He used their scripture. He used their heroes. He used their own history to show what was true and what was right. The Holy Spirit knows just how to speak to us, to anybody. And he knows what needs to be said. He knew what needed to be said to these guys. He sees what motivates our hearts. He, uh, he knows what's going on on the inside, and therefore he is extremely proficient at, shall we say, hitting a nerve. Right there. Hit that, hit that nerve right there. I have a friend who says, he says, oh, that does it. You've hit my last nerve. I don't know if any of you parents have ever said that. Pa- Pastor Scott at, at Federal Way says, Oh, you hurt my last feeling. <laughs> Some of you know Scott. That's a, a little bit of sarcasm in that one. Um, when the Holy Spirit hits a nerve or speaks truth to something that conflicts with what you already think or what I already feel, um, now now we have this this moment where you get to decide how you're going to respond. And the response is absolutely your decision. The Holy Spirit does not control you in that. God does not mandate uh, a certain response from you in in that you do not have a choice. And their response in this was rage. 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 Um, the conviction of the Holy Spirit hit them and they weren't having any of that and their response was not just, not just anger, not just simmering. It, they all lost control. They lost their marbles and went mob mentality, rushed this guy out of the city to kill him. Uh, I think we can see this kind of response emotionally pretty often in the world around us when a person or a group of people that are kind of formed around a sinful lifestyle, there's options to choose from there. I left that vague on purpose. Um, When they are confronted with sin or somebody dares say that's wrong, um, they react or respond. And many times it's not appropriate. Um... Many times, it's to lash out at the person bringing the truth, or the lash out at the church or Christianity that anybody that would dare tell them they're wrong. We see this same kind of same kind of emotional response today. I think I've probably felt this also. Um, maybe you have too, to some extent. Have you ever ever been in an argument with your spouse and get nailed? like you are definitely wrong. You know that feeling. I've just heard about it. I don't know. I don't you don't always want to do the right thing and humble yourself and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, do you? Sometimes you just want to, you know, you get angry and defensive and, um, and by, by you, I mean we. <laughs> As the Holy Spirit brings conviction for sin, which is one of his primary roles, as described by Jesus, um, then we get to respond to that. He shows us where we're off base, or where our thinking about God is wrong, or where we've missed something, and he calls us to repent. He calls us to change our mind to agree with him about who he is. And then submit to him in all things. And sometimes we do not respond well. These guys certainly did not respond well. They did not. Their their response was rage and anger and violence. So the first thing we see in this passage is that the Holy Spirit knows how to get through to people. He knows what to say. He knows how to get in there and bring the opportunity for repentance. I think really as we look at this scene in the Sanhedrin, this was the Holy Spirit given one more opportunity. Come on, one more, one more chance. You're you're you've been stiff-necked, rebellious, stubborn people for thousands of years. Come on, man. I'm giving you another chance. Of course, nobody nobody in that in that time knew that in several years, the entire place would be wiped off the map anyways because they could not repent. The Holy Spirit knows how to offer that opportunity. He knows how to get through. The second thing is, as we look at Stephen and his response and his role in this, we see that God gives peace in troubled times. If we're putting a a title on today's message, it would be Stephen's Peace. And this is really not normal peace. I guess we could say it that way. It's not normal peace. It, this is a crazy example. This is this is a, almost like a a, a mental illness peace. Like, have you ever known somebody who's who's struggling with it with a mental illness? I'll, I'll be careful. Uh, and and it's just like reality doesn't always set in all the way. Like like there's. An, certain details escape them or, or go over their heads. Sometimes, and, and so they can be blissfully ignorant. You know, you can, you can miss things. Sometimes kids uh, have this thing. And we see this with Stephen. Like, even though knowing that, that this was gonna happen, knew, he knew going in he was gonna die. He knew going in this was gonna happen. And, um, and yet he was, he had this calm about him. And he, he was completely captured by the presence of the Lord. He was, ignorant. It seemed like he was unaware of the things going around him, or at least his response didn't show that he was aware. Have you ever known somebody in an exceptionally hard situation going through a really, really hard time, and yet they are peaceful? It can be unnerving sometimes. Like, you should be more freaked out right now. You should, you know, you should have a more emotional response to this. It's almost like they are incapable of seeing or acknowledging how bad it really is. But in this case, of course, that, that is not what's going on. I have a friend who has uh, just been diagnosed with lymphoma. Um, and they're going through the process, deciding what uh, kind of treatment options there are. Um, and as, as people are finding out and they're, and they're telling people, um, I think the people around my friend are more freaked out than he is. And he, he has very quickly said, this is not a death sentence. I I ain't worried. Now, we're all, we're all praying for his wife right now that, that she would experience that peace as well. Um. But he is at peace. His eyes are on Jesus. There is a supernatural peace that is covering my friend. Stephen may be one of the best case studies in this kind of peace. Uh, we see in Philippians four, six, and seven. And and as we read this, think about who's writing this. This is the Apostle Paul, who was the Saul mentioned here, who was a part of this event. And he says, having given his life to the Lord later and being radically converted, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Boy, did we see that with Stephen. A a piece of God which surpasses all comprehension. That essentially means your brain doesn't understand it. This goes beyond the workings of a human brain to comprehend. God was with Stephen in such a powerful way in that moment, that horrible moment, knowing he was surely going to die, yet God somehow captured his attention and his gaze was fixed on Jesus it says that he he saw heaven heaven was opened up and this was a real time thing this wasn't like this wasn't like a picture of the future kind of stuff this was right now Jesus at the right hand of God which only made his accusers more angry never mind that peace that surpasses natural understanding what an example we see in Stephen Gosh, I, I just think of, I've not ever been in a situation where this was going to happen to me or anything that serious, um, but I've, I've walked through life a little bit, so have you. You're standing here, so you're not dead, you're sitting here, you're sitting, except for you in the back, you're standing. Um, So we have not walked through that doorway. We've not been through that circumstance. But we have all been in situations where have you ever experienced this peace? where you sh- this this is a nasty situation. You should be freaked out, but instead your faith and, and your your hope in Jesus is strong, and you know that He's going to pull you through, and it's going to be okay, and we're gonna we're gonna make it. And and in fact. The promises of God are that that he will use this to to make me look more like him. He will use this for my good. He will use this for his glory. That's where that peace comes from, is having your hope firmly anchored in Jesus. As we uh, move into a little bit of application for this, Um, I'll have Ariella come play, and we're going to prepare for communion as well. What a fun week to take communion together. So if you're doing that, let's begin that preparation. I mentioned at at the beginning of service that peace is not, this kind of peace is not the absence of conflict. And we often see the best examples of this kind of peace in the worst scenarios. And, again, note that God doesn't come in and completely, miraculously save Stephen. He doesn't come in and just make everything better. He doesn't stop the bad guys. Man, I wish that was the case. Because that's how, that's how we pray, right? I and. God is a God of justice and, and but people have their own free will. They get to decide how they're going to respond. But this peace comes when it's crazy. The peace that God gives is in the middle of that crazy. It's in the, the midst of suffering. It's when the questions refused to be answered. When there's no answer suitable for your why. I don't know about you, but but I want to be in a place where God can pour this kind of peace into my life. When I hit something super hard, you can go ahead and begin passing the elements. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4 says, the steadfast mind you will keep in perfect peace. Thank you. The steadfast mind, you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. This is the the prophet speaking to the Lord. The steadfast mind, you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. The trust, and then he turns to, to people and he says, trust in the Lord. For in God, the Lord, we have an everlasting rock. So the practical application of this idea of God's peace is super simple, but not super easy. Because the key is keeping your mind steadfast on him. It doesn't begin in the heat of the moment or in a big fire. It doesn't begin when things get really bad. It begins before that where you are disciplining and training your heart and your mind. See, we remind ourselves of his goodness. We remind ourselves of his faithfulness to keep his promises. His power to save those who call on his name. That's, we remind ourselves that. It begins by reading and digesting, meditating on his word. And it continues as you understand more of who he is based on how he reveals himself. It continues as you hear his guidance in your daily life, as you hear his direction and you follow in obedience. It's the everyday stuff, not the big once-in-a-lifetime stuff the everyday stuff that we train ourselves to have a steadfast mind to build our confidence in Him 2 Timothy 1.7 says for God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity but of power and love and discipline or some translations say a sound mind a well grounded mind a steadfast mind this has been a prayer of mine lately When I'm struggling with something that just seems like, why can't I grow through this? Like, why why am I why am I still in this emotional spot? My prayer has been, Lord, give me a disciplined mind. Help me keep my eyes on you and not to be pulled off by the things I may be going through. Give me a strong mind, a disciplined mind and th- this is where he is able to pour into you, pour into me, that peace that passes all understanding. We are capable of, it's it's we are capable of producing some levels of peace. We can we can get ourselves out of conflict sometimes. We can solve things sometimes, but that's not what we're talking about. We want God's peace. So today we again, set our minds and our hearts on him. We make our minds and our hearts steadfast on him and allow him to keep us in his peace. So we come to the communion table today. Jesus instructed us to, to do this, and it was it's a way of remembering and refreshing our, our minds and hearts with what he's done and how he's done it. He instructed us to keep to, to keep this tradition, to keep it fresh in us. In communion, we're reminded of his sacrifice and what he accomplished on our behalf. So we have the bread bread represents his body, his body given for us, his body that carried the weight of all of our sin. Not just the sin up to that point, but the sin of humanity overall, once for all. Not even just the actions of sin, but the condition of sin. He bore the punishment that that sin deserves. He absorbed it in his body. It needed to be done because there, there is a just and a righteous and a holy God who, who cannot have sin in his presence. There had to be punishment, and so Jesus bore that. He also bore our sickness in his body. So we remember what he did for us, and we together we take in gratitude the body. symbol of the new covenant that Jesus set up for us he he set up a new way of relating to the father this was why he was sent to win us back to deal with the the barriers in between us and to set up a new way to communicate a new way to be in relationship rather than carefully and from a distance as Israel had all this time rather than through the sacrifice and the blood of animals, we are now cleansed from sin by his blood and we can enter directly into relationship with the Father, directly into his presence, with confidence even. We are made clean by his blood. And so we take the cup together in gratitude for what he has done. Lord, we thank you for providing for us. Everything about who you are and what you do is supernatural. And the things that you give us oftentimes just go beyond our ability to really comprehend and, and describe. We look at the peace that we're talking about today. We look at our hope, which many would consider irrational. We look at the healing that you provide for us and and even just the reasoning behind absolutely taking our punishment. Lord, we're so grateful that you do that, that you have done that. Lord, would you help us to walk in your peace? And more Would you help us to be in a place where you're able to pull the, pour that into our hearts? Holy Spirit lead us into a greater understanding of <clears throat> who Jesus is and how He loves us. Would you fill us with peace like we see in Stephen's example? A peace that goes beyond our understanding. Peace that impacts the people around us. Lord, fill us with your peace this week, this Advent week in the Christmas season. Let it ever be on our minds in Jesus' name. Amen. As you go this week, may you be full of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. May you grow in your relationship with him and be a recipient of his peace in greater measure. In Jesus' name, amen.